This is Wholesaling Houses Elite, the no fluff and BS podcast with tips and tricks to help you become an elite wholesaler. Our guest will spill the beans on what it takes to be the best. This podcast is brought to you by Lead Gen Pros, making it incredibly easy for the average real estate investor and business owner to get more leads. They work with a variety of companies who specialize in real estate investing and who are looking for a systemized way to increase their lead flow and grow their business. If that sounds like you, check out theleadgenpros.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a new podcast. And every single week, I bring on amazing guests. And this time, this guest, I'm not going to lie, is selfishly for me. So welcome, Mark and Tamil from Think Multifamily. How are you guys doing? How have you been? We have been awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Absolutely. Really appreciate it, Max. So you guys are multifamily specialists. And is it more of your, you're just multifamily specialists all together. Am I saying that right? Yeah. yeah. Focused strictly on multifamily. We invest in some other asset classes passively, mm-hmm. but as far as active, and education, it's all around multifamily. And yeah. it's typically larger, you know, somewhat larger, 100 plus unit type properties. So the big ones. So the stuff I want to buy probably doesn't qu- classify yet, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. If you're going to buy something smaller, I'd still recommend five or more units because the financing is better if you go five or, or higher. You know, we okay. started small multifamily 25 years ago, kind of aging ourselves there. Um, and we can't just- buy properties at five years old. I already. <laughs> You're talking to me, I'm sure not. Right, 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 right. We've just learned that it's definitely better to go bigger, faster with a team. And we didn't have the resources that people have nowadays with podcasts and mm-hmm. online training and conferences. And people are just at a, a better um, position. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I say, I say it's a, yeah, it's a much better advantage point to be at starting today than it was like 20, 25 years ago. But let's let's back up a little bit. How did you guys even get into real estate investing at all? Yeah, I'll start. Um, so I was uh, grew up with one of seven kids, have an t- identical twin brother, and we were always like, "Man, we're gonna do something different than everyone else." But we had no idea what. And uh, but then we kind of got caught in the normal. You know, went to college, and while I was a senior in college, my brother and I said, "Let's let's buy some real estate." And we didn't have anyone prompting us or anything. We saved up a little bit of money and we went out and started buying and looking at small properties, like two to four units. I uh, got an offer on a deal accepted and then my dad talked me out of it and uh, felt really bad about that. We were already under contract and everything and pulled out because my dad didn't want us to go forward. He wasn't an investor or anything, but he just spooked me. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up saying, okay, well, let's not bring dad with us anymore on any of these, uh, these property tours, which we didn't. And about two months later, we got another deal, a huge value add deal and bought that deal. Told my dad after we closed it, so he couldn't talk us out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Started buying two and four units uh, and then then got corporate world type stuff, accounting and IT and continued to buy smaller properties up until 2013. So and Tammy got married like- uh, Right after your, your first duplex. So February, yeah. So within uh, five months after of us acquiring that property, um, to me, I got married. So that, that makes you that, that you just financially secure. So I'm ready to get married now, huh? Uh, we were definitely not financially secure, <laughs> which caused that was a bigger issue because our loans were recourse loans, which I really oh. didn't like. 
we, we had personal liability and anything we wanted done to the properties, uh, we would have to try to do ourselves, which were not overly handy. Mm-hmm. We have an eight hour toilet story. It took us eight <laughs> hours to put a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> a whole other podcast just by itself. <laughs> that was, that was uh, not, not good. And so we didn't have the finances. We were working both IT, my brother and I were come back at literally nine, 10 o'clock at night. We lived in Michigan at the time, shoveling snow and driveways. And and that was when you were even in town because he traveled a lot. Yeah. yeah. So this is not, this is not great. Not everything we thought it was going to be. No. <laughs> so multifamily is like hot right now in the investor world. A lot of people are speaking about it. Um, why is it? Well, first of all, when somebody's just getting started in real estate investing, why are we so leaning towards single family is it some, why do you think that we just jump towards single family immediately? I think because it seems the most logical. People mm-hmm. just in our history understand like going to school, getting a job, buying a <clears throat> house. It's just so ingrained with us that's like the next logical step. I don't think people maybe have the education to understand the work it's going to take or the time it's going to take to mm-hmm. buy one, move to the next, then the next, and then scale up to maybe a 10 or a 20, then a hundred. That's just people's logical mindset. And those who teach that, that's their logical mindset because they haven't learned that it's actually easier to go bigger, faster. But it all comes down to understanding what you're doing, mm-hmm. having the right team in place to walk you through all the potential obstacles that trying to go at it alone, what you would hit, right? Mm-hmm. So, and people like Mark and I, and there are other maybe experienced investors that you can kind of just pull information from, learn from their 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 failures or yeah. people's horror stories, so you don't have to repeat the same thing. Yeah, it's that- being scared, right? It's being scared. I mean, I at twenty two, whatever, I would have freaked out if someone told me, "Hey, why don't you go buy a hundred unit property?" I'd be like, "What, what do you?" talking about you know yeah. i didn't know what syndication was at the time we were raising money from other people and things like that or anything you would just think it's the rich who are buying those big properties you had I no mean, idea that the average person could actually tackle it look i'm going to be completely honest and vulnerable here i mean it wasn't until maybe nine months ago that i even really started exploring the idea of buying anything multifamily. what are some of the big misconceptions with acquiring a multifamily property that you hear all the time getting started you mean or just yeah. in yeah getting started um i think some of it is more that hey it's uh someone usually has a story of somebody that bought it uncle aunt whoever and had a problem with it and that those stories exist there's no question about it if you're in the business long enough you're gonna have issues and and then you have the other side of it a lot of educators out there that say oh it's so easy and uh, you know, nothing ever goes wrong. Well, you know what? That's, that's not true. Things go wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and if you buy a property and something goes wrong for you, you're like, I must be like the bad guy, right? I mean, my property's not doing well. Well, it happens and it really is people not educating them in a way and sharing those, you know, no one wants to say, Hey, I had a bad experience and nobody's usually proud of that. Right. But you need to step out there and share those horror stories. Like at our event we're doing, we're going to have a panel with horror stories and not because people are sitting there saying they're proud about it, but, um, they want to share it. I had a guy on a panel ask me, you, you want to share a real huge success story or a failure? I said, well, I think people get more out of the failure. So I shared a very, you know, hard, hard story to share. 
And th- and I think that's part of like what I talk about as well too is, is like my failures. And I think, you know, failures are not they're not terrible. I mean, I I know a lot of people are afraid to fail in general. I think but it it usually makes you better instantly. And I I think you guys can probably attest to that as well too. Um what is let's let's talk about maybe what was after you got your mindset set that you were in the multifamily game? What was probably one of your first biggest acquires that you've ever had in in that market there, or not market, but in in multifamily altogether? It was a sixty four unit in uh, Dallas area. Now, how did you structure that? Were you already months into the game? Were you years owning properties, or did you have to level up and learn to how to how to acquire a sixty four unit? I don't think we had to learn as much about how to acquire because we had been buying smaller properties and. Mm-hmm. A finance background stuff like that and not necessarily that that's required but it helped me a little bit more on underwriting deals and trying to structure them the biggest hurdle for both to me and myself was we need to go raise a million dollars for this deal and yeah. that freaked me out <laughs> i can imagine yeah but but you got it done we got it done and uh but you know in re, you know growing up we never talked about money never mm-hmm. knew how much my dad made um, I only asked my dad that I really remember twice my entire life for money. Um, I said, I, I probably asked him a second time because I forgot the way the first time went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was, didn't want to go out and ask people for money. You have to get a mindset saying, I'm actually providing an opportunity. Correct. People don't even know about it. When we talk to people like, I didn't know you could invest in a deal like that versus a stock market or, you know, whatever it might be. So we're providing opportunities. It's not for everybody. Some people never do it and some people are like oh my gosh i never knew i could do this i'm very interested and let's hear about what we have to say so you talk about hurdles let's um let's talk about you know you got somebody that has a couple rental properties themselves uh maybe four five six and they they've been hearing a lot of chatter lately about multifamily. what is a hurdle somebody starting um that they are going to face pretty much every single time Broker, no credibility, no track record whatsoever. Mm-hmm. We have people all the time. You know, we we educate. I talk to people. You know, whatever, twenty people a week, and like, oh, I've been listening to podcasts and reading books, and that's great. You should do all those things, but I'm not getting deals. Well, we've sold deals before, and I would never sell, you know, a hundred plus unit deal to somebody as their first deal that they're buying. I wouldn't yeah. do it. And brokers, you can buy. You could buy a hundred single family homes and you're going to learn a lot. The steps aren't that different. You know, these guys act like it's so much different. It's not, there are more complications with multifamily for sure, but the steps are almost identical with single family. So let's not make it seem like it's bigger than it is, mm-hmm. but you're going to run into that whole thing where the broker's like, well, how many deals have you done? Uh, none. And that instantly is you're not getting the deal. Well, and the single family doesn't really translate into commercial experience. Yeah, credibility wise, it, right. it, experiences are great. There's no question, and you can leverage a lot of that what you're doing on smaller properties. But from a credibility standpoint, you'll get zero credibility from brokers, unfortunately. Got it. So, what are some of the strategies? So, you guys teach people how to get into the multifamily investing world, right? And maybe so. What What does somebody when they come to you, say me, because I'm I'm looking to get into that world, and I come to you and say, Hey, look, Mark. I'm looking to learn more about multifamily investing or syndicating deals or something. What are some of the first steps that you would obviously 
tell me to go make? Yeah, my first one would be more trying to figure out where you're good already at something. So we have, you know, half a dozen ways you can get involved in a, in a deal uh, as a as a partner, right? Whether yeah. it's finding deals or raising money or putting earnest money down or signing a loan or, you know, diff- different aspects. So just talking to somebody, if I talk to an engineer and IT guy, typically they're going to be good at analyzing deals. Just okay. Yeah. If I talk to a marketing sales guy, they're generally more geared towards raising capital. It's not to mean you can't do all these things, but mm-hmm. why try to perfect, you know, a half a dozen things when you're already born a certain way you are, yeah. there's some things you like, things you don't like, and there's no reason in my mind to spend a bunch of time doing things you don't like. So become the expert in some area. If you can raise capital, raise capital. Okay. It's, it's valuable. If you can find deals, do that. So really trying to find out where you're already naturally born and then what you've actually done before and then don't try to get someone to do all aspects that initially it's too overwhelming for people well and how much time you have to invest in doing your duties mm-hmm. if you have one hour a week do you have zero hours do you have 10 hours a week that alone will tell you where you're going to fit into this family syndication model of getting involved in apartment investing quickly got it that that makes perfect sense um, talking about like maybe off market deals, is it common to find off market apartment complex deals? And if it is, maybe tell me about a story where you found something yourself off market and if, if it is common. Yeah. So off market, I would say is a little bit relative. So I would look at it this way, you're going directly to sellers for a hundred plus unit properties can be done, but mm-hmm. we've never done it. And yeah. we'll spend a ton of time, energy, trying to build a relationship with, you know, a few sellers. And then they're going to, a broker is going to come in, woo them and say, I'll list your property for X number. And like, well, I'm going to do that instead. So and we, have, we actually have a story on that. So we have a realtor who went to an apartment community in the Dallas area, trying to get a deal off market. She brought it to us. By the time she spent hours and hours with this, this um, owner, a commercial broker came in and then signed the contract and now they were listing the property. So all that work she was trying to do, she just lost out on because in general, the people who own a hundred units or more, a general statement are educated sellers and they know that it's a hot market and they want to work with a commercial broker who knows how to get top dollar or how to sell it quickly. So they don't have to bother with it anymore. Yeah. We do get off market though. So it's more through brokers and people are like, well, how's it off market if you're going through a broker? Well, it's not listed. Yeah. They're not email blasting it out to, you know, a thousand people. They're not, they don't even typically have what's called like an offering memorandum, which is like a kind of a, you know, a document put together about the property and it's very pretty looking. Then it might not even do that. But we have some brokers we've done business with. We've closed, you know, a dozen deals, for example, with, well, we're one of the first people they call. There might be two or three other people they call in some cases, you know, versus going trying to compete against a hundred people. I'd rather compete against three people. And we've had opportunities where people, brokers have brought us to deal and only us. And we know the brokers. So they're not, you know, it's a small world and say, we're going to give you a week to look at this deal. Let us know if you want it. And if you do great, if you don't, we're going to go on to the next, next potential buyer. Yeah. So when you find a deal, and you're interested in it, you run the numbers and you say, man, this looks good. How do you go about raising the money for that deal? I mean, it, it sounds a hundred units you're paying. 
I guess in a lot of markets, you're paying a couple million dollars for these properties, million dollars or more. How do you go about in your head, wrapping that around of raising that type of money? Yeah. So typically it's going to be, you know, depending on the market, at least 50,000 a door a unit, right? So $5 mm -hmm. million dollar purchase price. Um, I was really scared at first and I, we <laughs> yeah. nervous. You know, we've raised, a, we've raised a lot of money on a lot of deals. Uh, but it, you kind of get to the point where uh, we built up a group of other people too, that want to raise money and become part of our general partnership team. Cause there's some legal aspects around that too, mm -hmm. but um, want to raise money for us on deals. And that's not their sole responsibility, but they have access to, to that. So getting out there, going to events, I know you do an event, mm -hmm. um, meeting people, and then getting on social media, which I know you're a huge social media guy, <laughs> but people start looking at you and saying, okay, hey, this guy is like legit. I see him everywhere. And follow up and follow through is key because if you go to an event and you spend the weekend there and, you know, whatever, a few thousand dollars for everything and you get, say, 10 contacts, really good contacts, you don't, you don't follow up with those contacts, but people, it happens all the time. So the follow-up afterwards and then just, Hey, let's jump on a call together. Maybe find out what you're up to, what I'm up to Yeah, building that. So getting out there and then giving something of value. So giving away free content. And even if you're brand new to it, chances are you've learned enough where you can come up with some sort of 10 step checklist or whatever. End of the day, you need people's email addresses, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram is useless without capturing somebody's email address. So you need Absolutely. to give them something of value to where they're gonna be like, hey, I, I, I read uh, Max's three steps. I wanna see his other seven steps and I'm willing to give him my email address to see. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you guys are, are doing an event coming soon. Um, what can people expect at, at events, you know, especially multifamily because you know, I, I'm I'm pushing for more people to get involved with multifamily because it is a, a you know single families are a slow grind, but to each his own, right? You know, everybody has their own formula of how they want to get to their own destination. But I, what do people should expect going to an event like yours? So an event like ours is great. Um, our events, in our opinion, stands out a little bit more from mm -hmm. others like ours because we really push content and not just topics. Mm -hmm. We really want people to be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together so they can learn what their next step is once they've left our, our seminar. Um, lots of networking, of course, we work in extra networking time so that people can enjoy the content, the seminar, and not feel like they're missing out on any of the networking. When you go to a networking event or a conference like ours, you need to go with a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. Are you looking to learn that could be your purpose and yes, take notes so that you have your next steps ready to go. Or are you looking to network and just say, if I meet two people where I've built a real relationship with, where I can continue that relationship after the conference, then it's a win. What we oftentimes see is some people come to these conferences and they attend every one and they bring a stack of business cards and they're leaving with a stack of business cards because they're just speed dating. They don't really care about the people, the investors, the content. They're just there to get what they need to get out of the, the event and walk away. There's a guy actually from last weekend, there was an event in Dallas and people from our group were there and it, he had his name on front. It was a shirt that was made with his name on it. Hi, I'm so-and-so. And on back it said, you need my business card. It's just not, that's not a way to network. It's, yeah. it's, uh, 
it's it's not so networking is key but the other one you know like tammy to me mentioned is really the, the content and we'll have a you know maybe a dozen speakers there coming in different contents panels and we're structuring this one a little bit differently where we have people that are just like two steps ahead of somebody so you know if we stick somebody up there that's done you know five thousand units which you know is, is quite a bit yeah. we're like I can't even relate to that guy. Max done 5,000 units. I mean, I'm, I'm at zero. I can't relate. So we're actually this time incorporating a little bit more where someone's done, you know, a deal for a hundred units or someone's done two deals. So people can relate to them better. And they're like, Hey, I can do what Max is doing. He just did a deal and it's a hundred units, but uh, it's more of that relatability that we, in fairness, before we probably put more people up there that were doing bigger deals. We also are focusing a lot more on the money raising aspect for this particular conference mm -hmm. in September, just because we see that that seems to be people's number one fear or concern right now is how do they raise money? You've got to start somewhere. So let's learn the basics. Like let's learn the legal ways to raise money. Let's learn how some other successful syndicators are raising money or networking with high net worth individuals. There might be a different way that you relate to somebody who's an engineer versus somebody who's like a mega millionaire just looking to preserve their wealth, right? Yeah. You need to find out where they are and how to communicate with them differently. So, and what I also find in events, every event has its own culture. Mm -hmm. And that culture, that feel that you get when you walk into an event usually stems from the leadership of the person putting on that event. So if culture and community is important to you, we've created our events to be specifically geared to be inviting so that when people walk in the door, they will feel the difference that they have stepped into a think multifamily event because it's inclusive. We want you to feel like family. We are very family mm -hmm. values focused. Um, even some of our students who uh, live local to us, if we have a date night schedule, we're like, Hey, let's call up the crew and see yeah. if they want to join us for our date night because it's just, we want to be family with, with our people. I think life is more about, um, not just about how much money and how fast and how much success we can look like we have. Because if you get to the top and you don't have friends, you don't have some kind of real purpose in life, which is it's not, money, yeah. you're, you're going to feel empty at that yeah. end, right? And, and none of us know exactly when that end's gonna be. It could be a week from now, five years from now, and, or maybe 50 years from now. But you've got to start living life now with a purpose. And that, right. again, isn't chasing the dollar because that dollar stick is always going to be moving. It's a, it's a goalpost. It's always moving. I agree with that 100%. And I'd also echo that going to events with the purpose to network or whatever your purpose is. But you need to have a couple agendas out there set so that you know exactly you know what your purpose is when you're going to these events. And I know because I put on an event and it takes a lot of time a lot of money uh, a lot of patience so i commend you guys for putting on events because you don't i mean a lot of people don't understand you don't really have to do these things you've 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 learned how to invest in the multifamily. you and tammy mark and tammy you guys can just go off and you know live in your big house somewhere and just enjoy multifamily investing but it's the it's that inner feeling to teach, that inner feeling to pass on what you've learned. Um, I think that a lot of people, you know, don't understand sometimes that it is. A, it, sometimes it is a burden, but, you know, it is, especially because you're, you're actively doing deals. So you have a whole nother 
after 7 p.m. where you're planning these events and putting things together to make sure the curriculum is right, make sure the right speakers are there. You spend a lot of time on the agenda for the for the event and putting on a, a, a single day event, a multi event is a lot, a lot of work. So I commend you to for for taking that step to do it, because in this world that we're now, everybody's putting on events. Some people putting them on for right reasons. Some people putting them on for wrong reasons. Um, but I know your guys events going to be a success. Um, and, and I know a lot of people, heck, I might even show up. What, when is it going to be and how can people find more information about it? Sure. The event is September 7th and 8th in Dallas. And they can find out more information about it by going to thinkmultifamily.com slash fire summit. I'll definitely leave uh, that link below uh, in, in the, the show notes. But I want to I want to I want to talk about some more deals because I'm truly, honestly, in like, I want to know. So <laughs> I, I could speak for hours about this just to pick your brain. Um, what are, I know you have people when they look at some deals, what are some red flags when you see a deal come across your desk, right? A broker brings you a deal. Hey, this is an off-market property. Here's the numbers. What are some instant red flags you see that makes you say, wait, this ain't right? Yeah. Uh, location for one, mm-hmm. you know, where it's located, uh, crime, you can find out crime reports pretty easily on, on a property. Those are kind of at the, the gut, if you want to say, and then you have physical characteristics. Does it have flat roofs? Okay, well, it might be okay, but that's not ideal. Um, does it have what's called a chiller where you know, we have a property, it's 208 you know, units, and it has a, a chiller system, which means it's heated and cooled from one central place. So if it goes down, it's down for all 208 units. And it was down for three weeks in July <laughs> in Dallas. In Texas? No in way. Two, two years, three years ago, I remember, two years ago, I guess not ideal. So those physical characteristics, and then you have the other aspects of it where the financial and some brokers are really good at providing, you know, kind of a legitimate pro forma expectation mm-hmm. what the property could perform at. And some of them are horrible at it. So knowing no matter what, whether you're going to go buy your own property or invest passively in a deal, you need at a minimum to understand some basics. And we do a two day deal analysis class too. You just walk through deals for two whole days. Wow. But looking at certain rules of thumb, like, okay, well, what were, what's the expense ratio typically going to be? How much should payroll cost? Uh, how much would be, you know, it's called economic vacancy. So people that don't live there, people don't pay. And some brokers, that's usually at least 10%. Some brokers will have like a five or 6%. It's not reality. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is today for this month, but you can't use that information and project out into two, three years from now and assume it's going to be correct because you're likely going to be wrong. Yeah. So lots of rules of thumb. I mean, quickly looking at property, physical characteristics, location, demographics, um, and then what's around it. If it's the, you know, kind of a building that's not great, but the building, other properties around it are good. That's great. Um, but going into an area saying, hey, all the, proper, all the properties in this area are, are junk, but I'm going to buy this one property and totally change it. I'm going to put security cameras and fence. And now you better buy the whole block or two block or three block, whatever it is, because one property in a bad area is still in a bad area. You need to have more mass to change it. One well, is the property in a landlord friendly city. Mm. So think about is the state landlord friendly, but sometimes the state in general isn't but a particular city in that state might be. 
So you really need to look where that property is located. This so will no, help. So no apartment it. buildings in LA, in Los no. Angeles. <laughs> LA, you no, know, rent, 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 I mean, you know, we look at, you know, where it's located, you know, supply or is new supply coming on Camille mentioned rent control, um, all those aspects, job growth, population growth. And you don't have to have every one of these things going for you to make the, the property, you know, work. But the more you do, the, the better it is for sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, man, I could just keep going. I was going to ask you about, you know, buying distressed apartments, but you're like, look, a bad apartment is a bad apartment in what area. Do you ever buy, I guess apartments are graded by A, B, C, D. Is that correct? You know, it's tricky, the distressed apartment. So <clears throat> yes, you have a lot more potential to make more money when they, you bring them all back online. But say you have 100 units and maybe 70 of them are vacant maybe all of them are vacant. Where are you going to get the loan from? Because a, a regular um, bank isn't going to loan. Mm -hmm. So then Mark could probably talk about scenarios where you have to get a bridge loan or a hard money loan to get you started, but interest rates and everything are higher for that. So you need to have a plan how to bring everything back online quickly. Yeah, you need to understand, which we've done a lot of, and we continue to do a lot of big value add. We have one right now we're doing you know, it's a very small purchase price. We're putting $16,000 a unit, which may or may not sound like a lot to certain people, but that's actually a pretty pretty big amount to put in per unit. That's to um, fix it up? Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, that's quite a bit. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, generally speaking, the more stabilized property that's kind of, you know, decent, you're gonna put maybe, you know, four or 5,000 to kind of spruce it up. This is 16,000. So, um, you know, the, the bridge loans we've done, I don't even know, eight or nine over the last year. I don't have an issue with them, but if you're going to get into that business, if, if you want to say, you better understand the way bridge, bridge loans work because it's completely different than all the other conventional loans out there. Mm -hmm. Much more complicated. So earlier you talked about a recourse and a non-recourse loan. Can you explain what that is and how people get or how you qualify for one or the other? Sure. So typically if it's uh, you know one to four units, it's recourse, meaning if something went wrong on the property that the, the bank can come after you personally, your personal assets and try to collect. Mm -hmm. uh, five and above is where you have the option to have non-recourse. And we have, I mean, several hundred million literally in, in non-recourse loans, which means the lender can't come after you for, you know, for you personally, unless you do something wrong, like you're fraudulent or things yeah. like that. So they should come after you, you did something yeah. wrong. But it's not a recourse, which means you don't have personal liability on it. So, you know, this whole idea of that's why I mentioned earlier, if you can do five units or above, you at least have the option. Um, and if you want to go Fannie or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, generally speaking, they want you to have at least one million dollar loan. It can be, go down to seven fifty, but just in your head, think that you have to have a loan amount of a million or more. Then you can get into like kind of a long term Fannie Mac or, or you know Freddie loan, uh, Fannie, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan long-term, um, usually a million and above. And it's generally non-recourse, all ours are, but you probably have to have somebody sign with you on the loan if it's your first loan uh, to get that non-recourse. Got it. Now I'm painting a picture here in my head and I'm saying I've never heard of a non-recourse loan on a single family property. So, so that, that kind of paints the picture. Cause I'm always thinking from the bank's perspective, they never want to lose. 
So if they're going to give you a non-recourse loan, they must be pretty confident in multifamily investing altogether and the idea of apartment complexes and commercial properties as far as living. So that kind of makes me think that if the bank's okay with a non-recourse loan, it's probably a secure investment for most people than going single family to single family. Right. The property is a business and you should stand on its own. People on a regular basis will contact us. Hey, I'm looking to do a deal. I have good credit. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's ir not saying irrelevant, but it's, it's so a non-issue for me to <laughs> look at the business. How is the business performing today? Yeah. And then, you know, depending on what type of loan you get, they will project out how it can perform in the future. In some cases they don't, they'll say it's, we're going to base it based on how it is today. But it's a, it's an excellent point you bring up because compared to other asset classes too, you might get 60% leverage. You know, we're getting 75, 80% loans on these plus rehab money rolled in the loan plus sometimes soft costs of 3% rolled in the loan. So the lender's the biggest investor in any deal we have. Wow. And if they're looking at it like, like, hey, this is, I'm willing to give all this money up. There's a reason for it. That's that's awesome. Um, Tammy, answer this question. If I can't make it to this September event, which I, I'm, I'm personally speaking for me, um, do you have some uh, other things that you offer, such as maybe like one-on-one -on -one or group sessions or some online stuff? Yes, we do. We actually have um, just an online uh, training material option. Mm -hmm as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching, which gives you one-on-one -on -one calls unlimited. Um, we have our group calls as well with our other one-on-one -on -one students. So you can get to meet some of them and start building relationships and potentially even partner with them. Um, and then we also meet three times a year where we go more in-depth training with just that one-on-one -on -one coaching group. Um, we also, with that group in particular, we take a real estate investing cruise every mm -hmm. summer. Oh, wow. And it's just time to really develop those relationships and everybody brings their family and their kids. So um, we do have an online only training and then we do have our one-on-one -on -one slash group training because it really is encompassing both. I love that. I, I love that a lot. So I think uh, for myself, I'm going to definitely try to make it to September. If I can't, I'm going to be joining some online something because a lot of people don't know i still educate myself every single day in this business i don't care if it's multifamily, single family what type of investors how to raise money i think it's important that everybody in this business grows every single day as i'm sure you guys learn every day as well too yeah i mean someone that says they're not then or someone thinks they, we have people post oh i i already know everything oh good for you well <laughs> i don't but good for you you think you know everything already you know yeah well, in my opinion, I guess, just like marketing, the world, everything, the way everything works is constantly changing yeah. and growing and advancing. And if you're not keeping up with it, you're actually falling behind. You 100%. grow and change with everything. So Mark and Tammy, do you have anything, any last words to say to, you know, leave them with encouragement or whatever you want to say uh, to, to the audience here? Yeah, I mean, I, me, I would say, you know, stop dreaming. Yeah, I tell people, I had a little Facebook thing saying, if you're not going to take action, just stop dreaming because, you know, it's never going to happen. So if you're going to take action, big dreams and partner with somebody else that's done it because podcast books are great, all that stuff. You can learn everything you want. I use the analogy of, you know, some a fighter, right? Somebody can read a book, how to fight for two years. Somebody can go in the ring for two years and pretty confident I know it's going to happen when they get in the ring together. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, no one's ever gone through a deal and said that was so much easier and less complicated than I thought it was going to be You're like, wow. 
And these guys have like been listening to podcasts, reading books, events for you know years. It's just something different about getting that experience. So find someone who's done it before, made some mistakes, and can share those with you. And Absolutely. I would say that if you are questioning whether this is something you can do, because maybe your maybe your personality is more timid and you don't know how to network, you don't know how to talk to investors. You know, I was in that same place the very first real estate conference I ever attended. I was afraid during the breaks because I didn't know what they were expecting me to already know. And I didn't want them to know I was just a stay at home mom at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. But people just want to get to know you. I'm totally different now than I was three years ago. You can totally do this. You can grow into the person you want to be. Just don't be afraid to take that first step. I love it. Mark and Tammy, it's been great. And Tammy, can you give me one more time where they can find information about the event or just in general? Absolutely. So you can find us at thinkmultifamily.com slash fire summit. You can also reach out to me personally at Tammy, T-A-M-I at thinkmultifamily.com. And I'm Mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com. There you have it. I appreciate both of you guys coming on. And if anybody's sitting here wondering if they should get into multifamily, I say stop thinking about it, get into it, at least educate yourself so that if you do run across an opportunity, you can strike because you have some type of uh, education in that field versus just passing it on to somebody else. So I appreciate Mark and Tammy for coming on to the podcast. And uh, if you're listening so far, please take the time, give us a five-star rating, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And I appreciate every single one of you guys again. Appreciate it, Mark. Appreciate it, Tammy. Thanks, Max. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Wholesaling Houses Elite Podcast with Max Maxwell. Make sure to tune in next week to see what elite wholesaler will have in the hot seat.